1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Uh, Once again, folks, it's time for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Pete Paquette, once again, uh, does our engineering, does it very, very well. Andrew Herdliska is the producer. And uh, our guest in this first segment is David Holland. He's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, a founding pastor and teacher at the Cup and Table Company. His book, Praying Grace for Women, 55 Meditations and Declarations, for beloved daughters of god welcome to orlando
3: david how are you i'm so good pat and i'm delighted to be speaking with you today
2: david i got the feeling that you may be the first man ever in history uh to write a devotional or meditations for women what's the story here
3: (laughs) well i know it does take some nerve uh to and some audacity to do that and i've uh, you're not the first person to ask, you know, what is this uh, some hairy man thinking, uh, what's he thinking that he can write a devotional for women? And it's a fair question. Uh, and here's the, here's my answer. I've got two, two, uh, two legs to that answer. Uh, first of all, I've been the husband of an amazing woman for 35 years now. She's just an extraordinary human being. And uh, we're so uh, much in love to this day, and we were blessed with three daughters, and Those three daughters are all married and well and serving God now with the starting great families of their own, which has produced a whole wave of grandchildren that have come along, seven so far and and counting, and five of those are girls. So I just feel like I've been surrounded by glorious femininity for just about as long as I can remember. And uh, those guys, if you ask them if I may have a few pearls of wisdom and a little bit of insight that helps them Uh, thrive as a woman, I think they would tell you that the answer is yes. I may have some helpful insights and some things to say. And the other reason, Pat, is that um, this uh, devotional, Praying Grace for Women, is actually a sequel to an earlier devotional just called Praying Grace. More than 200,000 copies in print right now. God breathed on that thing, and it is continuing to sell and uh, circulate around. uh, And what I've discovered is that it is particularly resonated with Christian women uh, who find the truths that are in it, uh, truths about the goodness and the kindness of God and His nature, truths about what all Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, which is wider and deeper than we've known, and a particular kind of praying that is... uh, not just pleading, but more proclaiming. All of those things deeply resonated with, with women in particular, which uh, led to this particular devotional, Praying Grace for Women. And uh, And I think it's a timely thing, given the circumstances that many women find themselves in today.
2: Your book breaks down, David, into four parts. Part one is Grace for Rest, and you do a series of of topics under that. Tell us about Grace for Rest, and what does that mean?
3: Well, my observation is that a a lot of women right now are just flat-out exhausted. Uh, Life, Mm. in particular, for women has never been easy. Uh, Women are the keepers of relationship. They're the glue that holds families together. Uh, They're the ones who make the household run. And, frankly, if it weren't for women... We would, there would be no birthday parties. There would be no family reunions. There'd be no Christmas cards. So, it, in addition to, to shouldering all the demands that life continues to, to place on all of us uh, in this era, women have shouldered a lot of extra demands as well. Well, you we layer on top of that uh, a pandemic and isolation. And everything that social media is and the internet and the information age is uh, heaping on top of us, all that anxiety and comparison that that can produce. And then on top of that, the very human tendency to want to try to earn favor with God, earn acceptance with God. All of that combines into a prescription path for exhaustion among Christian women today. And the good news is is that there is a, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, there is a Sabbath rest waiting for the people of God. Life will always be challenging, and life will always require uh, effort, but our relationship with God shouldn't. Our relationship with God is designed to be a place of rest, a place where we are operating from our acceptance with God, from His love from Christ's victory in life, not striving for those things. Therefore, the, the, the whole first quarter of the book is designed to help women renew their minds to these realities that allow us to live what I call a lifestyle of rest. Uh, it is a powerful, powerful thing, and it is, a, it is an answer to the spiritual exhaustion many of us are feeling right now and in particular Christian women
2: my guest uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area is David Holland and we're talking about his book praying grace for women Uh, David let's move on to uh, part two grace for intimacy with God Uh, what does that mean
3: well, it's it's a deepest longing in, uh, of every human, and it's a deepest longing, particularly for women uh, who are deeply relational people. Uh, as I mentioned, they tend to be just are hardwired to be the keepers of relationship and the valuers of intimacy. And so, in in the every in the heart of every human, and especially in the heart and soul of every woman, is this desire for intimate relationship. And yet, what According to Genesis, what the fall did was create this separation from God. And what Jesus accomplished was the restoration back to what had been lost, that original level of intimacy in the garden that was uh, forfeited, which was abandoned. Jesus restored it. Uh, I'm fond of saying that you know, God did not send his son to restore us to good behavior. He sent his son to restore us to himself, that, is, that was the purpose of sending his only begotten son, so that there would be a way back to the heart, to the lap, to the walking in the cool of the day intimacy with, with the Father. And yet, that was the very thing that God sent his son to accomplish, and he accomplished it. Many of us are operating toward him as if what Jesus came to do was restore us to good behavior. The, the fact of the matter is, is good behavior is an organic byproduct of that connection with God. You, wanna, you want to act better, do better, talk better, think better. Well, you can strive in your own strength to do that, and j- it's just a prescription for failure and exhaustion. But move back into that intimacy with the Father that Jesus made available, and then all of a sudden, all those things that you were striving for, the better doing, the better talking, the better thinking, the better behaving, all of that begins to flow organically out of you from the inside out. And it's this uh, its this effortless thing. It's why Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's this tremendous renewing of the mind that can take place, and that's precisely what this section of this devotional is designed to help us do, Pat, is to renew our minds to, to some truths that... Uh, and and eliminate some falsehoods that represent barriers to us experiencing that intimacy with God that uh, Jesus came, died, overcame, overcame death itself in order to provide uh, for us. So it is a profoundly important and impactful thing because once we get there, Everything that we want, everything we want to be, everything we hope to do, flows downstream from simply plugging in to that intimate connection with God. Everything behind that gets easier downstream.
2: How do we go about renewing our minds? I keep hearing that a lot. Uh, what, yeah. what, is, what does yeah. it mean?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. There's a there's a scriptural. Basis for that Romans twelve two says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's a there's a spiritual principle there that I I see it. You know, you've written powerful books on leadership and growth, and all of those leadership books contain a kernel of a truth that transformation comes by changing the way we think. Uh, in, in large part. it's not the only element, but it is a huge element by trading wrong thinking uh, for correct thinking, uh, trading lies for truth, uh, myths for reality. And so uh, a massive piece of operating in a lifestyle of rest or a lifestyle of intimacy with God that is basically identifying areas of wrong thinking, false thinking, of where we've adopted myths or misconceptions and trading those for biblical truth. Now, that happens a couple of ways. First of all, you just have to have an encounter with the truth. Uh, a lie has to be exposed, uh, and uh, anything exposed to the light is easier to deal with. Um, with. Most falsehoods about God, falsehoods about who we are in Christ, is that they, they never get exposed to the light of truth. And that's two-thirds of the battle right there. And then the second part of it is uh, there's a meditation, contemplation, repetition uh, piece of that where we uh, not only uh, expose ourselves to that truth, but we meditate on it, we think about it. And then there's a third element, which is we put it in our mouths, speaking it. There's something really profoundly powerful about not only thinking a thing that is a true thing, but also speaking it, particularly when it's about our Heavenly Father or about ourselves or who we are in Christ. And so uh, a big piece of the way this very devotional is built is that, that at the end of each devotion, each devotion in, uh, contains a scripture, and then an unpacking of that scripture, and then it ends with a declaratory prayer. <laughs> and, that, and that declaratory prayer is literally training you and guiding you by, the, or takes you by the hand and guides you into putting that truth into your mouth. And as you put it into your mouth, and your own ears hear you say it, uh, there's something that's transformative about that. That actually accelerates and facilitates that mind renewing process that then produces transformation from the inside out. We're constantly trying to change from the outside in. And that's hacking at the branches instead of getting at the root uh, that causes us to, to be who we are and do what we do. And so mind renewal, particularly scriptural mind renewal, by reading, meditation, speaking, uh, absolutely has this powerful transformative effect on our lives.
2: My guest is David Holland. Uh, his book, Praying Grace for Women, so, David, we have covered uh, the first two parts of your book, "Grace for Rest," "Grace for Intimacy with God." Uh, part three, "Grace for Peace." Uh, tell us more about that.
3: Well, it's a massive need among people right now, among uh, everyone in this culture, uh, believers especially, and 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 most especially because of the reasons I articulated earlier that a lot of Christian women are basically exhausted, stressed out, freaked out, anxious. There's this epidemic of anxiety and fear right now going, uh, going around that is so debilitating, and, and there's a reason for it. Uh, it's not that, that uh, people today are any more fragile than they used to be, but I, um, there's one particular devotion in this section I call Escape the Funhouse, and it uses the metaphor. If you remember the old carnival funhouse, where you go inside and there's all of these different mirrors that distort the image, and there are rooms inside the funhouse that are designed to disorient you and uh, throw off your sense of balance and sense of orientation. There are mirror mazes. Well, essentially, that's all of us have entered in this culture type of of. Um, Distorting, disorienting Carnival Funhouse. Let me just read just a a paragraph or two of this, Pat. I I say, um, traditional long-trusted sources of news and information have abandoned any pretense of objectivity and now simply serve as propaganda arms for one side or another in the culture wars. Thirty years ago, our sources of information came from a mere handful of large media organizations operating exclusively in three realms television radio and print for better and worse the internet and smartphones upended all of that every individual on the planet is a news source and a pundit offering opinions perspectives and interpretations of the news often anonymously and therefore with no accountability many have an axe to grind a viewpoint to sell a grudge to settle or a cause to advance some deliberately lie Many unwittingly share false information with their network of friends.
2: Hold on, folks. We got more with David Holland. We got to take a break here, David. We'll be right back on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: David Holland is
1: the author of
2: Praying Grace for Women. And David, before the break, you were right in the middle of a topic for us, and I want you to pick it up right where you were before the break.
3: You know, we, we were pointing out that really in our current environment, <clears throat> our media-saturated 24-hour news cycle environment that we live in, we are constantly bombarded with information, some of it accurate, some of it not, that we uh, have coming at us 24 hours a day. Every one of us now holds in our hands an instrument that's constantly feeding us information. Uh, If there's something horrific that goes on somewhere in some part of the world, we're all hearing about it within minutes of it happening, often watching it unfold live, uh in in front of our very eyes which is gives us the impression that everything everywhere is terrible all the time plus there's this wicked insidious uh effect that social media can have on people and particularly women where this comparison thing is concerned that gives you the impression that everyone's life is better than yours everyone's family is better than yours n- nobody's struggling as much as you are and so this creates this debilitating sense of insecurity and fear and anxiety that is absolutely a hidden pandemic among people right now. And it's hitting women, God's women, God's daughters, particularly hard. I call that that funhouse environment where you don't know what's true, you don't know what's right, you don't know which way's up. And then when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're not seeing yourself accurately. So this whole section on grace for peace is designed to, again using scriptural truth, illuminating scriptural truth, putting truth-based words, prayers, in your mouth to renew your mind to what's real, <clears> to what's true, and to, to get us reoriented and out of that disorient disorienting, anxiety-producing funhouse. And that is precisely what Grace for Peace is all about.
2: David, it's time to move on to part four and you call this grace for breakthrough. Uh, explain that. What's that mean?
3: Well, life brings challenges. We, you know, the, the, this broken planet filled with broken people is going to create challenge. Uh, Jesus himself said in this life, you shall have tribulation. There's because it's a, a broken world filled with broken people. Uh, not only persecution, but just adversity is going to be a part of, of living on this planet uh, in this season of time. And therefore, we need to know how to to get breakthrough, breakthrough in God, uh, in His power, in, His, in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. So much of this section is designed to help you understand keys, principles, and biblical truths to overcome adversity, to uh, experience breakthrough in every area of your life, whether it's your own inner life, your soul life, uh, where your family is concerned, where your uh, financial and economic uh, life is concerned, or in your relational life. uh, Adversity will present itself. That is a given. But God has given us the ability to overcome, to break through. He's given us all the tools we need. He's given us all the authority we need. And this section is uh, specifically designed to help you um, to do that. Uh, and it's all by grace. I mean, grace is the theme here. When we're talking about grace for, for breakthrough, and it's implicit in the word grace in the way it's used in the Bible, is that it's a gift. There's one of my favorite devotions, and you'll appreciate this as a sports Pat. One of my favorite devotions in here is called Dance with the One Who Brought You, which is a cleaned up, proper English version of something that our Coach Frank Broyles, the legendary Arkansas football coach, used to say. He would say, we're going to dance with the one watt browness I also heard Bear Bryant say this once. Bear Bryant and his Alabama team was in the national championship one year when I was a kid. And the uh, uh, an interviewer asked him if his team was going to change their strategy for this national championship game. I think they were in the Sugar Bowl. And he said, no, we're going to dance with the one watt Brungus <laughs> and what, he's, what he was talking about, and that's a euphemism that means the thing that got you to where you are is the thing that you need to stick with. Well, Paul says that very thing in Galatians 3.12. He's saying, so answer me this, did the Holy Spirit come to you as a reward for keeping Jewish laws? No. You received him as a gift because you believed in the Messiah. Your new life began when the Holy Spirit gave you new birth. Why then would you foolishly turn from living in the Spirit, by trying to finish in your own strength, in your own works, in your own power. That's a huge key for operating in breakthrough and experiencing breakthrough, is that we got to where we are in God by grace, by receiving a gift. And what Paul is saying here, and he also says this in Colossians as well, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. What he's saying is, dance with the one what brought you. That's how we overcome. We overcome by by recognizing that apart from God, we can do nothing. But connected to him, there's nothing that is impossible for us. All things are possible with God. And so our, our tendency is to say, okay, thanks for getting me to this point, God. Now I'm going to get the rest of the way on my own strength, my own cleverness, my own ingenuity, my own willpower. And that never works. Uh, there's this, there's this, Connectedness with God. So uh, the theme there is uh, a key to breakthrough is dance with the one who brought you.
2: David, what do you want listeners to take from all of this discussion?
3: First of all, there are three areas in which we really need to renew our minds. One, God is better than we know. He's, he's good. He is kind. Uh, his heart is for us. He has moved heaven and earth to get Jesus into the world so he could restore us to himself because he is love, and he is utterly and completely good. And Any messages or any thoughts or any paradigms that we have that run counter to that need to be replaced with truth. The second thing is that Jesus has done more than we've known. We we've been told he's our ticket to heaven, which is absolutely true. And if that's all he was, then he would still, it would still be the most amazing gift anyone has ever received. But the fact of the matter is, is that what Jesus accomplished in his victory has implications in this life now uh, for us to have peace and to have breakthrough and to have intimacy with God and to have um, all of those things. Uh, so G- the, the work that Jesus accomplished is wider and deeper and more than we've known. And then the third thing is is that there's a way to pray that is more effective than just pleading. It's important to ask God for things. He said in his word, ask, ask you shall receive whatever you ask of the Father. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's not the only kind of praying. There's a kind of praying that's assertive, aggressive, uh, confident, and bold— Uh, that is very much in the spirit of leadership, the very kinds of leadership principles that you talk about so beautifully in your books. And so um, those things are what I want people to understand that this book, particularly God's daughters, will help them operate in more fully and experience more completely in their lives. And it's never been more important that they do so than right now.
2: David, in closing, uh, can you tell us more about the cup and table company?
3: Yes. I'd be delighted to. I spent much of my adult life in gigantic churches, and I had no beef with gigantic churches. I love them. I love the fact that they're reaching more people, doing more things, providing more services. But a few years ago, I got hungry for something that had a little bit more intimacy to it. So I founded a house church and started pastoring that house church. I have In my day job, I'm writing books like this and speaking and helping organizations grow. There are many facets to what I do. But I founded this house church. Well, it grew, and it grew to the point where we had to decide, well, we're either going to have to stop being a house church or we're going to have to plant additional house churches. So what we've grown into now is a network of house churches. The Cup and Table Company, that name comes from the Cup of Communion and the Table of Fellowship. And so we're now we're a growing network of uh, small uh, house church communities that are going, walking through life together, uh, enjoying God uh, together and being used by Him to accomplish His plans and purposes in the earth in a less traditional brick-and-mortar manifestation. We're, we're, we're not mad at the way anybody else is doing it. We don't think anybody else is doing it wrong. We just think that there's in this additional expression of community Uh, that uh, we're ripe for right now, particularly in this culture.
2: David Holland has been our guest. Praying Grace for Women, the name of the book. We've got more after this. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and it's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: David Holland, our guest, in that first segment, uh, he was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area talking about his book, Praying Grace for Women. Well, we're going to keep going west. We're in San Diego, California now. We found Bob Hassan, uh, his book, Shortcuts, The Proven Path to Purpose, Excellence and Calling, Bob, welcome to Orlando. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing great, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored.
2: Why were you uh, uh, involved in putting this book together? Why is it important?
4: Oh, for four decades, I've I've talked to people and I've listened to sort of this general malaise that people have. What's my purpose? What's my destiny? What's my calling? What does God have for me? And, uh, you know, I've been... In a business, my business for 45 years, and I've, I've <laughs> watched people and just wanted to write a book to hopefully uh, help people get set free in this area.
2: <clears throat> Bob, the first uh, part of your book, the first chapter, is simply called Gaps. Uh, explain that.
4: Well, what we're going for in the book is there's gaps in people's thinking. And so, what I do is compare and contrast uh, two, two subsets of people: people who are who are really uh, younger people who are really doing a good job with their lives, with their work, with their with their vision, with their direction, and another subset of people who uh, are are having a hard time with uh, with vision and direction. And I tell stories about both subsets of people, and come to the conclusion that there's gaps in uh, seeing or wisdom with respect to what purpose is in in one's life let's move on now
2: because there's some interesting discussions here uh topic two you say the world is out of balance what do you mean by that
4: well later in the book we talk about work-life balance but Pat, we've just gone through, uh, you know, a world health and economic pandemic, and now, uh, you know, I have mentors who are in their mid eighties, and I can't call them and say, "Hey, what do we do uh, in a world health and economic pandemic?" They they don't know because the last one was over a hundred years ago, and so what what I'm seeing uh, the world being out of balance right now is is people confused about uh, what their destiny is. For example, in the Wall Street Journal, they report uh, this great resignation that over 4.8 million people have left the workforce, and they don't know where they've gone. And more recently, probably the most interesting statistic I've seen, the Journal also reported there's a new phenomenon of workers accepting jobs and then not showing up for work on their first day of work and ghosting the employers. Mm. I think, you know, it's a good, a, a good thing to think about, about the world being out of balance.
2: That's very, very interesting. Let's go to topic three. God's wisdom for work and life. What is it?
4: I grew up... <laughs> I got, it, it, uh, and, uh, and when I, when I got saved, it was pretty much turn or burn, repent or die. And the Lord's coming back, so get your house in order. Well, I, I looked at that and I thought, why is everybody so afraid back then? And in Genesis 2 7, God breathes life into Adam. The very next thing God says to Adam in verse 15 is, go tend to the garden or go to work. And so the, the very, God's very first direction to man is, uh, is the work, is his economy. And then if you fast forward to John 5.17, uh, Jesus says, My Father and I are always working. One of the ways that I think the world is out of balance is that work is an integral part of God's plan and his economy. And I think I talk to young people who feel like work is a curse when it really isn't. It's really part of God's plan. Bob Hassan is our guest.
2: Bob, tell us about the journey of purpose. Uh, What does that mean?
4: Well, our our relational identity, number one, is that we're loved sons or daughters of God. So, what that does, if you accept that, is it breaks this performance of having to perform in order to get something. Whether you're whether you've achieved all the success that you ever dreamed for, however you determine success, or whether you haven't uh, achieved that success yet and you're still on the purpose, on the journey in your life, I believe. Pat, and I know that you believe that uh, life is a journey. And when I look at your career, which started in the, in the 60s, you spent almost 50 years building your craft. And, uh, and, and so the, perp- the, the journey didn't always have the highlights. You, you went through ups and downs, just like I have in my career. And this is what I mean by the journey of purpose,
2: I want you to explain <coughs> uh topic 5. Do you deserve passion? It's a question mark. Uh expand <laughs> expand on that, uh Bob.
4: Well, this is my favorite chapter. Really? And and so what I what I've heard time and time again is is I am not passionate about my job. I am not passionate about my life. I, you know, I just deserve passion. And so the etymology of the word passion, if you go back and you, you find the etymology of the word, the passion is derived from the passion of the Christ. And, and Jesus, in order to get to the passion, had to hang on the cross. He made a choice to serve mankind and to sacrifice for us. And part of that passion was going through pain. And So in my career, and I'm going to just assume in your long career, you have had to put your foot uh, down and take one step at a time, day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, in order to find a place of passion. When we're in... Uh, entry-level position, uh, just coming out of college or high school, depending on where you come. Uh, you're not going to be passionate about this entry-level job if you're sitting in a cubicle working on spreadsheets all day, or if you're uh, a cold calling every day. It's hard to find passion. Where we have to find passion is is in the fact that we're serving the Lord and recognizing that we're going to be in this long journey where eventually passion will come as we get, as we achieve mastery in our jobs or our lives. Bob Hassan is our guest.
2: The name of the book, Shortcuts, discovering and developing your unique design, Bob. Uh, That's the next topic I want you to unfold for us.
4: Well, let's just talk about gifts and personality. So, We, we can look at personality tests like the Enneagram, the DISC test, the Strengths Finders, Myers-Briggs is an older one. And I think these are good, I think these are good, uh, tools for us to use if we're, if we're trying to develop our identity. Also talking to our parents or our friends or our spouses to find out, uh, you know, what, what are we gifted at and, and what, where should we go? Back to the cold-calling example, if you're introverted and you have a job as a cold-caller, you're probably going to have not have as much success as you would hope for. Uh, uh, And and then on the other side of the coin, if you're in that cubicle working on spreadsheets, but you're an extrovert and you love people, again, you're probably not going to be enjoying your job. So I think, you know, this this notion of identifying who we are, and where we go is important another is our character it's not talked about a lot in uh, in our circles but character counts and people see character if you're you know at your church or at your job and you complete a task and you're asking you know your supervisor or whoever you're working for hey listen i've finished this is there anything else i can do can i help can i help my coworkers Can I go to my supervisor and ask for more tasks? This is character, and our character counts in in our jobs, in our ministry, in our lives.
2: Bob, I want you to um, uh, develop the next topic for us. Passion, you say, is connected to people. Uh, Expand on that, please.
4: Well... I was a member of teams and groups, you know, uh, as as I was younger. And one of the things that I learned is, you know, being one of the fellows or being part of the team. And and I believe passion is connected to people. I believe that, you know, in your job, in your church, in your family, uh, we have we have relationships everywhere we go. And and I believe as we get to know and we're curious about people and we find out what makes them tick and all the things that have happened in their lives, it enhances our ability to understand passion, understand God in a different way. We're all in relationships and we need to understand that, that God has put these relationships in our lives for a reason. And whether we're looking for mentors or friends or, uh, you know, an eventual partner or spouse and, and focusing and understanding that God is relational also, uh, you know, helps us to understand passion about relationships is key in our lives. I don't know Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, Pat, and I don't know how I would have gotten through, you know, these many de- decades of my business and my life without covenant-connected relationships that, that, that I could turn to in the times— when I was in the Valley and I didn't understand and I needed help.
2: Bob Hassan has written the book shortcuts, the proven path to purpose, excellence and calling. Bob, what about this topic that you write about? What is work life balance anyway? Question mark. Yeah. Answer that for us. What's it mean?
4: Let's, Let's take the 1983 World Championship. Let's take those guys. When they won the World Championship, they had a party. Maybe they went to Disneyland, and they had some time off. And for whenever the next, uh, whenever, whenever the, the preseason started, they had time off. Well, for most of us, we're lucky if we get a week in the summer, a week in the winter, and uh, a vacation. So what we have to work on is this work-life balance on a daily basis or a weekly basis. It's not the same for everyone. Sometime in seasons in our jobs, we, we have to be able to tell uh, the people that we love, listen, we're, we're uh, up against a deadline. I'm going to be pretty preoccupied for the next week, two weeks, four weeks. And please bear with me. But once, once we're done with this deadline, I'll, I'll have some time to get, you know, to get my life back is what we say. And, and I think what we need to work on is, is, is taking care of ourselves in the moment, in the day, in the week, in the month. We have eight hours to sleep. We have eight hours to work generally. And then we have eight hours of free time to, to pursue our passions or to pursue rest or to pursue the things that we're interested in, like hobbies.
2: My guest is Bob Hassan. And uh, we're talking about his book. It's an interesting piece of work he's put together, Shortcuts, The Proven Path to Purpose. Why did you call that title
4: Shortcuts, Bob? Well, it's very interesting, Pat. There's a, it's a white cover with a red letters, and then there's a black line through Shortcuts. And, and, and so, so people ask me, is the title Shortcuts or No Shortcuts? if if you look in the first chapter i have a quote by the first chapter and the quote says there's hard you have to put in the hard work there's no shortcuts and the owner of that quote is michael jordan mm. so um the reason that this book is called Shortcuts is that in the world right now, people are looking for life hacks, for quick fixes, for cheat codes, for any way to get around this proven path to the journey of life. And... Uh, I believe there's only one shortcut in life, and that's the pursuit of wisdom Ooh. wisdom from the Bible, wisdom from the the holy Spirit, wisdom from others who have gone before us, who have more experience, and wisdom from our experiences and I think when we when we when we lean into wisdom, we begin to find through experiences you know the way to go i People say to me. Oh, you you know, you're so wise and, and I laugh and say if there's any wisdom in my life it's because I've made more mistakes than anyone and I'm willing to talk about it. And and having having our our eyes drawn to the experiences in our life and the experiences of the other people that we love are in our lives, I think is is really the the shortcut uh, in life.
2: Bob Hassan is our guest. We've got more with Bob. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: We're visiting with Bob Hassan. He's in San Diego, California, talking about his book, Shortcuts The Proven Path to Purpose, Excellence, and Calling. Bob, we've arrived at topic number nine. You call it Becoming a Wise Resource Manager. What does that mean?
4: Well, we're transitioning a little bit in in this part of the book to stu- financial stewardship and be becoming a wise resource manager. And again, um, in, in this book, I don't know we've talked about this, Pat. I have I have uh, interviewed and followed the lives of five young people uh, throughout the book who who are in the midst of the struggle and the triumph of uh, living their lives and operating their businesses or working at their business and the probably the number one thing that I hear from people is that they're uh, they're having problems financially whether they have IRS problems or they're in credit card debt or they can't buy a house or they just don't understand how to budget so Transition a bit in in this section to talking about what a what a wise resource manager talks about. Actually, in this chapter, we um, we discuss the poem in Proverbs thirty one about the Proverbs thirty one woman that everybody talks about. But I'm I'm looking at at this poem in Proverbs thirty one as what a, a wise resource manager would be. And if you read if you read this this psalm, you see that. She's she's filled with joy as she's taking care of all the things uh, in her life, from her business to her household to her husband to her, to her family, and and it's a it's a really interesting exercise looking at Proverbs thirty one from not just as a as the as the woman as we you know have been taught, but as as a resource manager also.
2: Let's move to topic number ten, Bob. Trust in the art of planning. What's all that mean?
4: Well, Pat, I'm by by and large, my heart is that I'm a strategic planner, and uh, in my business, um, every couple years, you know, I write a strategic plan, and I'm always so surprised at how, when I go back and look at what I what I've written before, how God has. Taken us to a point, but we didn't get there the exact way that I thought or that I planned. And, and so taking this concept into personal lives, into, into personal budgeting, into personal planning, into, into personal dreaming, uh, taking this concept to having a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about, uh, you know, this, the art of the plan. And, and I think that, uh, when we when we take time out of our busy lives and have the ability to write a plan or a dream for our personal lives or our businesses or our work lives, even if it's one or two pages, it gives us the ability to focus on what uh, where we want to go. I believe the simple truth that what you focus on happens, and and so trust in the art of planning is getting to the point of looking at planning as a global tool for your life that gives you direction uh, as, as so that when you're in the day-to-day, uh, you recognize that there's a plan.
2: What does strategic planning mean, and why is it so important to you?
4: Some people call it business planning. Some people call it life planning. I like the term strategic planning because because taking the time to sit and write out a plan uh, uh, causes you to understand strategy. If if you're operating a team, um, you look at the other team that you're playing and you and you and you figure out a strategy about how to defeat them. If you're you're operating an army, you're looking at what strategy will help to defeat the enemy. If if you're looking at life and, for example, you want to get to a place where uh, you have this amazing job um, and you're young, you say, okay, well, I'm going to have to major in business. And then I'm going to have to get an entry-level job position. And you put a plan together to end up where you want to be. So many times what people do is they, they look from the beginning of their life and they say, this is where I want to be. But they don't have a plan to get there. And I, I hear this all the time from 25, 26, 27, 28-year-olds, something like this. I'm 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 so bummed out because I'm not a millionaire yet. <laughs> and I I said, to them, well, where where did you hear that you would be should be a millionaire at your age? Well, everybody is because why? Because they're looking on social media, and social media is basically a highlight reel for young people to measure themselves up to up to, and and there's this general. Uh, anxiety with younger people of having to achieve these things that are unattainable.
2: And it all comes from their peer group, do you think?
4: I think that social media has has really exacerbated people's anxiety. I I think (laughs) if you look, you know, I've read articles in the Wall Street Journal about uh, women and body image. Because on on, uh, on social media, they're just showing a, a certain type of woman. And, you know, young women are trying to measure themselves up to that. Young men are trying to measure themselves up to the guy standing in front of the private plane or the yacht or the expensive vacation. And and I, I think what we have to do is be comfortable in our own skin. And if we have a strategic plan in place, again, short-term m- Zero to two years, midterm, two to five years, long term, five to ten years. If we have a, if we have something set in place, then we can look at our plan and say, we're on this proven path. And I understand what the purpose of my life is, and I'm following the path. And we don't just have to say, well, I'm, I'm 20, however, year, years old I am, and I'm not there yet, and I'm a failure. In my life, Pat, it took 30 years in our business before we uh, actually hit a home run. 30 years struggling, singles, doubles, an occasional triple, a double play, a triple play. Uh, But inexplicably, in 2008, in the middle of the housing crisis, we had our best three or four years of sales and profit. How does that happen? I have no idea. I'm not that smart. But God put his hand on us, and that's what we're looking for, is God to put our hands on us and when we partner with him in our strategic plan.
2: Bob, I want you to expand on uh, our lives and the purpose of our lives. Uh, do you think God has a plan and purpose for each life?
4: I do. Coming back to... Coming back to our identities that we're loved sons and daughters of God, and I believe that this life, the central training ground for us to grow and fulfill a purpose. I believe also most times people are looking for their assignments out there. You know, they've got binoculars out and they're looking for their assignments from God way out there. But for most of us, our assignments are right in front of us, and if we if we can take the time to talk to the people that we love, care for, and respect, um, they can help us to you know understand what the purpose and assignments in our lives are. Uh, coming back to, like, I'm a big believer in culture, and I think, uh, I think when we go to our churches, we're looking for a culture that fits. That's how we believe when we're looking in our workspaces, we're looking for a culture that's essentially operating out of love rather than fear. Nobody wants to be in a job where, uh, ideas are stolen or people are climbing over other people's backs to get the next promotion. We want to be in a, a co- collaborative, uh, type of work environment where all ideas are welcome and, you know, nobody's belittled. So, so, yeah, that's, how I think
2: about that. Well, folks, our guest has been Bob Hassan. He's in San Diego, California, writing about his, uh, well, his passion, really shortcuts, the proven path to purpose, excellence, and calling. We will have a wrap up of this show in just a minute. Uh, Just a reminder, this is the Pat Williams Saturday power hour. And you're plugged into the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: Folks, thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. David Holland, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, Praying Grace for Women. And then Bob Hassan joined us from San Diego. Shortcuts, the name of his book, The Proven Path to Purpose, Excellence, and Calling. Uh, Those uh, are two books well worth getting. And speaking of books, my latest is out. It's a devotional book, sports devotional. I put it together with Mark Atterbury, good friend. Uh, the name of the book is called Every Day is Game Day. And uh, we do 365 devotionals, all with a sports theme and uh, a good solid message along with it. Uh, I think you'll be blessed by the book. So Amazon, always a wonderful way to order books. We're back next weekend for more. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a wonderful week ahead, and we'll be back with you next weekend. God bless. Thank you
1: for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word